Welcome to the podcast, Today's Voices of Conservation Science. I'm Chris Guy. I'm your host for today's podcast. This podcast focuses on people conducting science that's then used to conserve natural resources. And today I'm here with uh, Michael Yarnall, and he is a graduate student working on his master's in the Department of Ecology at Montana State University. Michael, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. Hey, um, just to start off, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, I grew up primarily in Oregon and Montana, and I was fortunate to be exposed to a wide variety of natural environments as a child. Uh, I studied ecology and evolution at MSU for my undergrad, um, and prior to beginning my graduate work, I worked as a technician for several different agencies studying a variety of animals, uh, including sage grouse, wet elf seals, goshawks, and several species of trout. That's pretty cool. What trout project were you involved in? Um, I worked uh, summer for Utah State University. Um, so I did uh, some bull trout snorkel surveys, uh, and then I did some stuff working with brown trout. Uh, and then I worked at briefly at Schofield Reservoir, where they've got... Uh, a hybrid species called a tiger trout that they've introduced to try to uh, control another introduced species of chub. So I think one of the neat things about this podcast and this series uh, of podcasts is really trying to dive in a little bit into why people are interested in or a career in conservation. So um, what really compelled you to pursue a career in conservation? Uh, well, as long as I can remember, I've been passionate about the natural world. And my earliest answers to the, that classic grade school question of what do you want to be when you grow up was always some biologist of some kind. Uh, however, both my parents uh, studied zoology, uh, but neither of them worked as biologists uh, to make a living. And both of them ended up going to get another degree to find employment uh, so when I started my undergrad, I thought it would be prudent to just skip the need to go for a second uh, degree. Uh, and so I started in civil engineering. Um, but while I enjoyed engineering and still do, uh, it didn't excite me the way biology does. So uh, midway through my uh, undergrad, I jumped ship to the ecology department and I've been here ever since. Yeah, that's a that's a neat story. And just curious, I mean, you did a you did a little bit in engineering and and then you came over to ecology. Are there some parallels between engineering and ecology? I mean, I was just curious. Uh, yeah, particularly um, like in civil engineering uh, where you're working with, you may be working with water and wastewater treatment, which is actually what my dad does in his. So his first degree is in zoology, but then he got a degree in uh, civil engineering. Uh, but he works frequently with people who work in the biology field. So he may be collaborating with people that work for national marine fisheries or something like that, uh, working on sewage treatment outflows or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of parallels. Yeah. I, I actually took a, a, a sewer treatment class uh, when I was getting my PhD in fisheries just to kind of broaden my scope. And it was really interesting. So I, I do see that. I think that's, uh, as much as we can broaden our scope in our profession to understand kind of what other professions are doing that have influences on the organisms we're studying is important. 
Um, another kind of neat thing that we've been doing is trying to figure out what inspired folks to get into the profession um, in, in terms of maybe being an instrumental event or person. And so is there anything that you can kind of think about in terms of what was instrumental in getting you interested in conservation and nature and maybe at this, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times we, we, we want to focus maybe on pre-graduate education. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I was talking about my folks and both of them are, you know, still very interested in biology. Um, so they were probably the most inter- influential in providing me with a passion for nature. Uh, they packed me along on hikes before I could walk and virtually all our family uh, recreation was some kind of outdoor activity. Uh, so hiking, hunting, fishing, and climbing. Uh, as a kid, I particularly enjoyed making species lists uh, that we observed on sort of long family road trips. Um, and my dad was my first hunting partner, and I still do most of my hunting with him. Yeah, that's neat. That's great. What do you guys uh, like to hunt for? Um, deer and elk primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh and antelope. Great. So, you know, those of us that have been through graduate school know there's a, there it's, it's a one in this profession is difficult to, to get into graduate school and find a position. We also know that the jobs are quite competitive. And I was just curious uh, in terms of, of thinking about hurdles, are there any hurdles that you faced um, kind of getting to where you are today and how you overcame those hurdles? Um, for me, the biggest hurdle uh, was probably deciding to go to graduate school. Um, so after my undergrad, I spent a few years uh, working as a technician to gain more field experience, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, you get to see a lot of different landscapes. Uh, but eventually, you're always moving and constantly job searching, and, and that gets to get kind of tiring. And I knew that to move up in the world, I needed to go to graduate school, but that, like you were saying, that uh, job the job market is still quite competitive even after you go to graduate school. Um, so I considered uh, potentially going back and getting a second undergrad to do something else, uh, but I didn't want to give up on my passion for wildlife biology. Uh, so I decided I would... Uh, spend uh, about a year working really hard at trying to go to graduate school. And if it didn't work out then, then I'd go back and do something else. Um, But I was fortunate to find a position during that year. And here I am. That's a great segue into kind of the next question is, uh, tell us a little bit about your graduate research. I know from talking with your advisor that you're working on turkeys in South Dakota, but, uh, could tell us kind of the the details of your research um, on turkeys, that would be great. Uh, Yeah, so I'm working to quantify the population ecology of wild turkeys in the northern Black Hills of South Dakota. So specifically, I'm collaborating with South Dakota Game Fish and Parks uh, to estimate annual hen survival, nest survival, and early poult survival. And so these vital rates are the main drivers of turkey populations, and knowing them will uh, help South Dakota Game Fish and Parks uh, improved management of turkeys in the northern Black Hills. So, um, curious, uh, are, are turkeys in trouble in South Dakota? Um, I'm just, I guess, wondering why. what's the management objective for South Dakota Game Fish and Parks, and um, why is your research important to them? Uh, 
Yeah. So the, uh, turkeys are a high interest species uh, in South Dakota, both for consumptive and non-consumptive uses. And there has been concern that turkeys in the northern Black Hills uh, were in decline, um, both both from uh, harvest uh, records and observations in the field by Game Fish and Parks biologists. And so they, they wanted to get um, demographic data specific to turkeys in the northern Black Hills. Uh, data was collected in the early 2000s for turkeys in the southern Black Hills. But although the North and South Black Hills are in relatively close proximity to one another, there's substantial differences in terms of terrain, uh, climate, and vegetation. And we expect that these differences may impact turkey population dynamics. So if you could kind of have a crystal ball and think about what's the best thing you could discover that would help manage turkeys, what would that be? Um, Well, the... The from a management perspective, it'd be great if uh, turkey population in the in the northern Black Hills turned out to be more productive than we expected it to. But uh, that doesn't look to be the case. Um, for me, I'm hoping I can add something novel to the body of literature relating to turkeys and game birds. Uh, so there's but there's been a lot of studies uh, across all of the U.S. to estimate turkey vital rates and characterize nest habitat, um, but precisely because they are such a high interest game species. Um, but there's a lot of interesting work being done that suggests plant phenology explains much of the differences uh, between successful and failed nests for ground nesting birds, and uh, with the data we're collecting on. Uh, nest site selection. I'm hoping to add something to this area while discussion is fresh. And what do you mean by plant phenology and how that's uh, affecting, um, I guess, um, is it, are you saying plant phenology is uh, affecting reproductive success of the turkeys? Uh, yeah. So the, the basic idea is that uh, ground nesting uh, game birds need some kind of cover to hide their nest from predators. And, uh, there's evidence to suggest that, as we might expect, that more cover, uh, generally speaking, helps uh, hide the nest and improve uh, nest survival. Um, but the way that traditionally a lot of studies have been done is if a nest fails, you go in and measure some habitat characteristics at the nest site uh, when that happens. And then if the nest hatches, you go in at, at that date and, and measure uh, those same characteristics. But the 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 catch is that um, if you measure uh, those characteristics at nest bait when a nest fails, uh, that if that nest failed really early in the nesting season, the grass or whatever uh, vegetation may look different than it it did uh, or it would have, you know, two weeks later when the nest might have hatched if it hadn't been predated. Yeah, that's interesting. So trying to match <clears throat> when the nest failed or six or there was success with the vegetation at that time, that seems pretty important. Right. And so uh, what some newer studies are doing is, is measuring uh, those habitat characteristics for a failed nest at the expected hatch date. So if you know when, when the, the bird initiated its incubation and about how long it should take for the eggs to hatch, you can go in and and measure your characteristics uh, at that later date when you would have expected to 
the nest to hatch. And so that way uh, you're, you're comparing apples to apples. Um, and so some studies that have done this with uh, grassland birds uh, have found that it makes a big difference. Uh, and, and I'm thinking that uh, it may not make such a big difference for turkeys in the Black Hills, particularly in the northern Black Hills, because so many of our birds are nesting in common juniper and common juniper is an evergreen shrub. And so, and it doesn't grow n- near as fast. So with, with, if you're nesting in birds, nesting in grass, uh, the grass could be a foot taller, uh, from the beginning of incubation to, uh, hatching, but a juniper bush doesn't grow very much. Mm-hmm. I'm here with, uh, Michael Yarnell and he is a graduate student in the department of ecology, studying turkeys in the black Hills of South Dakota. So maybe you said it and I missed it. I apologize, but is most of the the problem is with predation on the nests. And so once uh, they hatch, the predation rate goes down quite a bit. Um, so nests are are predated pretty heavily, um, and then and then survival of turkey bolts uh, and and just generally for for game birds is is fairly low in the the first uh, couple weeks especially before they uh, grow enough to fly. Um, but their survival tends to increase substantially once they once they can fly and invade predators that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, just I, I enjoyed uh, turkey hunting when I grew up in Missouri, so I got a, a soft spot for turkeys. And I just uh, noticed that um, where we're at here in Montana – in uh, Bozeman, Montana, that uh, it looks like they're going to open up the turkey season to uh, a general tag so you can get a tag over the counter. And, (laughs) excuse me, I don't know if you know or not, is that because turkeys are doing better in this area? Uh, Yeah, so so there are more turkeys in southwestern Montana. Uh, Populations are growing. Um, uh, Most of the turkey hunting in southwest Montana is on private land, and so... Uh, one, I think that FWP is recognizing that, that, that there's the population can support, uh, more harvest from hunters. Uh, but also I think, uh, it's an opportunity for landowners that might have, uh, too many turkeys, uh, to potentially bring in some more hunters and, and manage the resource that way. And just, I I know we're a little off track from your research, but is, is the expanding of the population of turkeys in southwest Montana, is that because of milder winters or um, better habitat, um, the way um, folks might be farming or land practices, or can you speculate on any of that? Uh, Well, it would definitely be speculation um, for me, uh, given that I haven't collected any data here. But I think all of those things could could play into it. And, uh, you know, where I've seen a lot of turkeys recently uh, is in the the Shields Valley. Uh, There's a lot of turkeys in there and they spend, you know, this time of the year uh, hanging out in those uh, grain fields, eating waste grain. So I think that definitely helps them out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I have one last question for you, and uh, it's kind of uh, off track, but it's been kind of fun to ask this question. And so um, what's your favorite animal, plant, or both? And and you can really only uh, 
pick one animal and and one plant. You can't pick a whole bunch. So I'm kind of trying to <laughs> pin you down on this question. Uh, that's that's a tough one. Uh, you know, there because there is such a diversity of uh, cool animals and plants out there. Um, if 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 you're really going to pin me down, I'll, I'll offer kind of a, a, a flippant response. And in, in that my favorite animal is a, a yearling cow elk with the back straps grilled rare. And my favorite plant is a <laughs> potato right next to the steak. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's mighty tasty for sure. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today about your research. And I want to wish you the best of luck in your research program at Montana State. Thank you. And thanks for listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science. And we hope you share this podcast.